Greetings to each of you, and invite your attention to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. It's good to visit Prairie this morning, and this time have my wife with me, and a daughter. It's good to be able to be in Minnesota these few weeks. It's a different message. I've entitled it Lines in Male-Female Relationships, and um, we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and read the first eight verses. The goal this morning is for us to treasure our purity and treasure our right relationships across gender lines. Let's read. Follow along, 1 Thessalonians 4. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel with honor in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness." He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. If you were in a different culture this morning, some of the lines for relating to the opposite gender would be different than we know. If you were in India this morning and went to the back of the church after the service, you would not, as a man, extend your hand to the woman to shake it. I guess it used to be that way in America as well, that usually it was the woman that would give her hand if she wanted a man to shake. But we've gotten used to that in our culture, plus a lot of things that, that may not be wrong, but a lot of things that are wrong. In Haiti, the culture would give you some other standards for right and wrong. You would pile in the tap-tap, the, the taxi. You would pile in regardless of gender. There would be public bathing. There would be a number of things that we would be repulsed by or we would say is across the boundary. But in India, for example, they would be stricter than we are. And so who's right, who's wrong? Where do we see a society benefiting from having some lines? You know, I think we all would agree that if there were no Christians in a culture, it would self-destruct. You look at communist Russia and how it self-destructed. You look at communist countries and other countries that said God is not alive. And you see how that it could not stand. The principles of God's word will work because God made man and God gave the principles for man's operation. But in our culture and in our understanding, we need to, to bring together the word of God. And the goal is for us to live a life of honor a life of sanctification, a life of purity. Now looking at these verses for a few moments, 
we see the apostle instructing us to abound more and more. Now, I'm going to say some things this morning you're not going to agree with. But it's a line that I've drawn or a line that we've come to. And you have, have lines where you will, will need a stand on. But am I willing, are you willing to abound to grow in the development of lines? He's telling them in verse 3, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. It is God's will that we be sanctified and that we remain sanctified. He asks, he tells them to abstain from all fornication or all forms of immorality. In our society, we could list off at least 10, just real quickly here, forms of immorality that we see. We have scripture that gives lists of them. But what can we do to set up guards from impure thoughts and impure uh, emotions that are confused and so on? Verse 4 says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. How did our children learn what was right and what was wrong in relationships with the opposite gender? Is because you taught them or they saw it modeled. We have a responsibility to help each other as adults as well. Verse 6, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. It's an interesting word, defraud. Do you always know when you're defrauding someone else? No, you don't. There are times people do intentionally defraud, but there are times we do not defraud. We do not know we're defrauding someone else. He's telling them, remember the things I've taught you Walk in the ways that I've taught you. Abound more and more in these ways because God desires that you be pure, that you be sanctified, that you abstain from all forms of immorality and that you not defraud each other in any matter. Verse 7, because God has called us to holiness. Verse 8, he therefore that despiseth or rejecteth the things that Paul had told him the things that the word of God said rejects God. Now you wonder where we're going with this message. And again, this message is one of a lot of opinion of where the line should be. But let's start with children, for example. So my first uh, focus this morning is boundary lines for brother-sister relationships in the home. Young families have a responsibility to help our children to see where the lines between siblings should be. We're experiencing homes in our churches today where there is impropriety and where there's things coming out that we're ashamed of. We're experiencing homes where children don't know the boundary, and when they get into society, uh, they flunk the test. When children are young, 
They need to be taught respect for their sister. They need to be taught respect for, for each other's uh, privacy. You know, in our home, we have a separate room for the girls and we have a separate room for the boys. That is right. And we teach that our boys are not to be spending time in the daughters' rooms. And we have a lock available on the door. Now, if you were in Haiti, that may not be the case. But is there a, is a, is there a line where there is privacy for the children? We don't make the bedrooms the place to play. We have other places to play. If the girls want to go and play in the bedroom, that's one thing, but it's not a separate, it's not a, a place for the boys and the girls to be spending a lot of time. We respect closed doors. We knock before we enter. We teach that proper attire in public parts of the house are a must because we're affecting where boundary lines are going to be. Purity and modesty must be taught and learned in the home. And parents have a responsibility to teach and to monitor how that's going. And maybe you can think of some homes as we speak where it's not monitored and where families are, are growing up with sneaky, uh, this, doing some sneaky things. And where the innocence of the children is not guarded. And where they are learning things at an early age that they shouldn't know anything about. Lines need to be drawn because curiosity will lead to immorality. As they get older then, we expect that our young people set some guidelines for courtship. What do you as parents encourage as far as lines of courtship? Do you encourage a hands-off policy? Do you encourage them to inform you where they're going for accountability? Do you encourage a curfew? We had a fellow that said that they, their cure for you was 12 o'clock at night. And they had a separate room for dating in the house. And so about 1130, he said, then we started to get some physical contact. And because we, we, you know, we, we were together for that night and for the evening, nobody was really there. You know, Mom and dad went to bed. We didn't really do anything wrong, he didn't think but it wasn't the hands-off policy. There was guilt. There's things that go into the marriage when there's not been proper lines. We were at a youth retreat this summer, and at the youth retreat, each session of the service, each service, a young man and his, I thought, girlfriend walked in holding hands. So it was kind of different for a church youth retreat to have a uh, young fellow holding his girlfriend's hand as they came in, but they did that for four or five sessions. So the last session, as I 
came out of the pew. They were on the opposite side, and I just said to them, I see uh, you're dating, and I said, I just want you to know that it's a serious step, and I'm going to be praying for you. And she looked at me and says, we're not dating. I said, you're not dating. They were holding hands with each other for a whole, whole weekend. What was she telling that fella? Think. What was she telling him? They're not dating. But she was telling him that, hey, I have feelings for you. He was saying to her, he has feelings for her. Wasn't commitment there. Somewhere lines have to be drawn, don't they? Somewhere lines have to be drawn so that we retain the proper focus and our purity is intact. Maybe the dating couple doesn't need to tell the parents exactly where they're going every time. But I'd encourage you as young people to do that for accountability. Tell them the approximate time that you'll get back. It helps you in, in many ways. It helps you. Limit the times of being completely alone in your dating. Set the curfew earlier than 12 o'clock. There'll be a trust that's developed with the person that you're dating. Strive to be a godly example of good courtship. We can't build a good relationship around the physical. We need to build it around the spiritual. Including that dating that is physical, dominated by physical, is one that's going to have a lot of regrets and things to work through. How about in the youth group? Let's go to lines and boundaries there. What do you as young people share with each other in the youth group? Are there things that we share with each other that should only be shared with our family? What are things that we share with each other that is suggestive? What do we text to another person in the youth group of the opposite gender? You know, when I was in the youth group, I wouldn't have written a letter to a girl unless I wanted to date her. Would you be willing to write what you text in a letter to the girl? Or do we text without thinking about that? Maybe it's nothing. But how do you know the emotion that's being developed? I, I chuckle when I see people uh, who are just good friends. They're just good friends. That's all it is. They're good friends. Yeah, right. Really? I don't always say that to them, but I've watched those that were just good friends get married. Watch those that were just good friends start out in their relationship with some things to work through because they hadn't kept some boundaries. In the youth group, do you, if you are a girl and you get an invitation to the wedding of some of your friends, one of your friends, two of your friends, and it says on there you can bring a friend with you. 
Would you ask one of the youth group fellows to go with you? Or would that be crossing the line? Fellow, if you were going to the mall and you wanted to shop and you just wanted somebody with you, would you ask one of the youth group girls to go along and shop with you? Is that crossing the line? We are emotional people and we get tied in ways that we can't even explain. And maybe we aren't tied up about it, but maybe the other person is. And it's a serious thing, brothers and sisters, young people, to play with somebody else's emotions. It's a serious thing to defraud someone else. Is there social reserve? I remember as a young fellow, probably 18, 19, being at a church fellowship meal. And at the church fellowship meal, an older girl came to me and she said, uh, from the youth group, said she wanted to talk to me about something. So the fellowship meal was in the basement, and after it was over, we went upstairs into the sanctuary. She sat in one bench and I sat in the other, and she proceeded to tell me what she wanted to tell me. I don't remember what it was. And during that conversation, one of the older ladies came up the stair steps, peeked her head in the sanctuary, and gave me the dirty eye. After the conversation was over, that lady came up to me. She says, Dale, that really didn't look very well. Didn't look very good. You two up here by yourselves didn't look very good. Thank you for that. I was old enough, I think I could say thank you genuinely. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. In her mind, I had crossed the line. I had crossed a boundary. I was in dangerous territory. I was ready to trespass on wrong ground. And the Bible talks about our transgressions. And it's about like trespassing. When the trespassing signs are out there, here's a territory that I'm not to step into. And I make a conscious choice to step into that territory. Where's the line? Again, you may not draw your line at the same place, but... Do we all agree there needs to be a line? There needs to be a boundary. We need to help our children, our young people, to see there needs to be a boundary. Last year, our one son was singing with a group of eight young people, went a little bit on a tour, and enjoyed it immensely. They didn't have any adult chaperones with them. And I said, son, you know, what, what's this look like? They were away for several days. And uh, they had their first practice for the next year. On yes yesterday, they had their first practice. As I talked to them this week, I said, son, what's, what are you going to do as far as setting up some boundaries this year? Because one of the girls in the chorus quit, and one of the fellas' girlfriends joined. So now we have eight young people. One of them are dating, two of them are dating people going off from this church to that church, what is the appearance and what is the temptation? He said, Dad, I was thinking about that. He said, I really was thinking about that. He said, well, I'd just suggest that when you go to your meeting Saturday, which was yesterday, that you suggest to the group that maybe there's a young couple that could just go along and not that we don't trust you at all. 
You're all older, mature, young people. We trust you. Let's put a boundary up. Have you heard young people who go to the cabin or have campouts? You know, the neighbor watches the young people at a cabin and says, well, they're doing what I used to do. We used to have our parties. The appearance of evil is there, even if nothing is going on. Where are the boundaries? How about us as older people? Us as married couples, where are our boundaries? How do we relate one with each other? I've watched in my life where couples became good friends, met together once or twice or whatever a week, and became too free with the opposite, the other person's wife. The emotions took them where they didn't want to go. How about texting another man's wife? Men, how about texting another man's wife? There might be some legitimate time to do that. What about calling and talking about all the details of the church problem or the school problem with another man's wife? Or vice versa. Can we do that as couples to safeguard? Or don't we need any safeguards? Are we mature enough that we can handle all of this? My boss is young, 25, and he got a secretary. And he came to me as an older employee and he said, Dale, what would I do to make sure that things look clear the office had gotten too full. They didn't have room for a secretary, so they put one of the mini storage sheds right onto the office, and he made four rooms out there, and he and the secretary were moving to the room, to out, out to that building. He said, what do we do? So between him and me, we came up with, there's a door between his office and her office. We put a Dutch door about this high between his office and her office with the bottom not opening. We cut a hole in the outside wall and put an exit door for her. That's far out, isn't it? She couldn't even get to his office unless she went out that door and went around and came in the other door. He couldn't watch her do her work because there was a Dutch door. When he sat at his desk, there was a Dutch door, and he couldn't see her with what she was doing. When she had a question, she came to the Dutch door. We made a nice top on it. She could lay her papers there. She could show it to him, or she could go out the door and come around and come in. Young married man, 25 years old, says, I want to do it right. This secretary had no clue what he was doing or what was, what was going on here. But she got married this summer. And now she says, ah, I understand. She had no clue what was going on there. 
or what the potential was? Are we setting up some guards? We need to relate to each other. I enjoy and I need, we all need both genders, opinions about things, and we need discussion, we need friendship. We don't need a long handshake with the other man's wife. We don't need long talks with the other man's wife. We can talk to, with them as couples. We don't need to spend a lot of time with each other's spouse alone. If there's an unfulfilled marriage, then there's downward spiral that takes place. It's a young couple we were working with, married about a year. And it became clear that she was flirting with some other men. She didn't view it as flirting. She was just a friendly type person. And yet, some of the single men where she worked would flirt back with her. She was married. Some of the married, one of the married men started flirting with her and even suggested that maybe they could ride together to the place of, of work to save gas. It was about 20 miles. Was that going across the line? Yeah, that was going across the line. She recognized that was going across the line. But she needed to be told about some other things she was doing that were going across the line as well because of the emotion that was being developed by other young men for her. I don't know if you've read the book, Increase My Faith, by Maureen Huber, but we got it in our home just this year. It has instances of family life and so on. I don't know who the publisher is. don't remember. But there's a story in there I read here not so long ago. It was entitled, Walking on Coals. And I think the title comes from Proverbs chapter 6. Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 6. Verses 27 and 28. <clears throat> we read about lines and the dangers in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. We read where young men are taken by the eyes and the words, the speech of ladies and where there's problems. But in verse 27 and 28 of chapter 6, it says, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? The story entitled Walking on Coals was about a Mennonite family that dairied, and the daughter helped in the barn, and after the milking was done, she would wash the milkers. And an ungodly milkman drove the truck that came to pick up the milk, and he came in one day and started hearing her mumbling about having to work so hard. And she said, oh, what? He started picking up a conversation with her. Oh, what's going on here? And she poured out her woes to him. 17-year-old 
girl. He a married man. Well, next time he came, she again talked to him and nothing wrong with talking to him, but poured out some of her woes and he asked how things were and yeah, he kind of made light of some of that and uh, relationship developed. Until it seemed that when the milking was done, she'd always try to make sure that she was washing the milkers when he came. And come to find out that he was always making sure that he got there at a set time. And he even missed picking up milk at the neighbor's farm. If he was running late, he'd go to that farm and then he'd go back and get the neighbors before he continued on his journey. You know what was happening here? Can you see through this? So one day, the father said, well, you're old enough now, or my, uh, your brother's old enough now, he can wash the milkers from, from now on. Uh, we're going to change jobs. You don't need to wash the milkers anymore. So when the milking's done, you're excused to go in and help mom get breakfast. So she thought about this. You know, I'm going to miss these conversations with this milkman. So he came, and she told him, she says, this is going to be the last time I'm going to be washing milkers when you're here. As the story goes, he came behind her and he grabbed a hold of her to give her a hug. And she dropped the milkers in the water and fled the milk house in tears, recognizing she had been placing herself in a very unhealthy situation. Repented of that. The father repented of that situation. The story is in the book Increase My Faith by Maureen... Uh, Hubert. Do you remember Alma who publishes it? But it's just an illustration of where somewhere there weren't lines set. Somewhere there were emotions developed. Somewhere they had gone across the line of purity. For the girl, first of all, she had given her woes to a non-Christian person. Secondly, she had given her woes to someone of the opposite gender. What is flirting in our culture? What is leading someone on? I think we can see it all over the place. I think we can see it in the business world where men take another man's wife out for a meal in the name of business because we're just doing what we need to do in the name of business. Do we draw lines? Turn with me to 1 Timothy 2. First Timothy 2, 9 and 10 has a word that we often define that is modest. We define it in light of apparel or clothing. Is it okay to define it how Noah Webster defines it in his 1828 dictionary? Think we could handle Noah Webster's 1828 definition of modesty this morning? It says this, not forward or bold. There are women that are forward and bold with other people's husbands. They're forward and bold in their speech. 
And we men are intimidated by a boisterous woman. It says, not excessive or extreme in this definition. Modesty is being moderate. In females, it's used synonymously with chastity or purity of manners, not boastful. The World Book Dictionary says freedom from vanity, the quality of being shy or bashful. The Bible speaks about being friendly, but there is a place of being flirtatious and not being modest and not being discreet. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10 says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. Not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. I haven't figured out yet why some married men let their women dress the way they do with all the extras and with revealing more than they should when they are men who want their wife to stay loyal to them. And they don't want other men to be gawking at their wives. There are people that are not shamefaced in our churches. They are not people of sobriety or modesty. There are men that are out of place that are flirtatious as well. But I just challenge us this morning. Is our goal purity in all things? Is our goal to keep from defrauding one of the opposite gender and to have good, healthy relationships? When we were in India and the people wouldn't shake your hand or you couldn't shake the lady's hand, it didn't mean that they didn't appreciate you as a spiritual person or a spiritual leader in their life. It didn't mean that you were of no value to them. They could acknowledge appreciation, but there was a level that kept it off the physical, kept it above the emotional, pure emotional. In our society... Young people think they need to flirt to get a partner. I want to tell you, young ladies, you don't need to flirt. God has a way of keeping young men awake at night that they need to ask you. God has a way of moving and giving them courage to ask when they don't think they can. I had a 7th and 8th grade Bible class one time, and the girls said, Hey, Mr. Eby. Wouldn't it be okay if the girls asked the fellows the first time? Just the first time. They're so bashful. They don't have the courage. We could ask them the first time, and then well, they could ask from there on out. We had a three-day discussion on that. Not all class time, but left and stew and brew on that one for three days. A girl came to me 
few years later and says, Mr. Eby, I still have those notes that I took on all the principles you gave us that were wrong in that scenario. If God wanted men to be leaders, can't he raise them up to be able to ask? Yes. We don't need to flirt. God has a way of moving things together. And it's beautiful how he moves it together. And the girl that flirts will get less than the best of a fellow. A fellow might enjoy the flirting, but he's probably not going to marry the flirter. Not a faithful young man. He's not going to marry the flirter because he sees her instability. If only we would recognize some of those things. This morning, this message comes because I believe there are families growing up that have not learned to set some boundaries for their sons and their daughters. And children don't know. And curiosity gets the best. And we're having families that have some pretty deep scars. There's young people that maybe didn't know that a hands-off policy would be an okay policy for dating. Or Informing parents might be a good way of accountability. Or having a curfew might really build some respect and trust. So we need to help them. And those of us who are married, maybe we, maybe we think we're able to handle relationships and becoming real free. Certainly we're not asking men not to relate to women. We're just asking it to be in right for piety. We're asking that there not be any appearance of evil. Our text says here that every one of us should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor. And that we abound more and more in the understanding that we are fallible human creatures. And that we need God's help in retaining purity. And that we are responsible if we defraud our brother or our sister. Though the world says less and less lines, less and less boundaries. Cultures recognize that there have to be boundaries. He therefore that despiseth or rejecteth despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. And I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit and how he moves in our hearts and in our lives to keep us thinking straight and operating in a way that is not a stumbling block to someone else. Well, that was a different message this morning, wasn't it? And you might not agree with where the lines are that I gave. It's all in the name of purity. This chapter was written in light of the Lord's return, First Thessalonians. In light of the Lord's return, would you and would, you, and, and would I again abstain from 
fornication, which is all forms of immorality? Would you and I live in sanctification and in honor? So that when we come to the judgment seat of Christ, 